0: hey good morning how's everybody <laughs> okay good man i i got here this morning at 4:30. do you know what the temperature was this morning at 4:30? not in here but in, in the parking lot it was one degree i looked on my phone and saw that and literally i said out loud that should not exist like there should never be a moment where your phone says one degree unless you live like in the arctic circle or something but uh, anyway, where I'm thankful for you guys to be here this morning and uh, be a part of our series we're walking through called uh, "Through the Waters." And um, uh, this week we're going to focus on a story that I know you've heard a whole bunch of times. But before we get to it, I want to ask you a question. And I know I know how much everybody loves participation games, but um, uh, one of the games that I liked playing, like you know, uh, in college especially, it's actually today I recognize it is a very stupid game. There is no real point to the game. You don't actually win or lose. It, it's it's a game called Which Is Worse. Have you ever heard of this game? Which Is Worse? It's a word game, um, and I'm serious. Don't don't plan on going home and playing it. You're going to be super disappointed. Um, it's mainly like you know young people, college-age kids. We were playing it, and you're real intent in the game not to win, but is to like either gross somebody out or get a, you know just a big reaction. And so what you do is you present uh, the, these fictional choices to somebody, and they have to decide which one is worse. And so I thought, you know, we'd do a couple of these together. It's a game that uh, you, you would take turns normally. We're not going to do that because there's too many people here. So you just get to listen to my couple of examples. So if we were playing and I was the one that was throwing out the which is worse scenario, I might give you two scenarios like these. Like which is worse that you are given a million dollars cash But in order to keep the million dollars, you have to listen 24-7 for the rest of your life. No breaks. It never stops. You have to listen to Copacabana by Barry Manilow. That's, That's your first choice. Or you give up every cent that you have, but you do get to listen to anything you want. So you see what I'm saying? It's not like there's not like a win in this. It's just you're hearing these scenarios, and then you have to choose. Uh, Like another one. Let me give you one more just so we make sure we understand uh, what this would look like. Which is worse? You have two choices. You can eat as much as you want for the rest, rest of your life for free. You'll never pay for another meal. But your only choice is liver and onions. You get to eat that the rest of your life. Or the choice is you can eat anything you want, but you only get to eat every third day. So you're going to starve too, and then you get to eat. See, I mean, I know it's not a game that you really win at, right? The funny thing is, like, as you play that kind of a game with people, whoever you call on to make the choice there's a lot of times they don't want to choose. (laughs) Even though it's like these stupid, outlandish things you're throwing out, I think sometimes we don't want to say them out loud even. I don't want to choose between those two. Like, I don't want to even speak that into any kind of existence. But you sort of force them, right, you know, and everybody laughs or whatever. But the reality is that I think a lot of times for us, we look at life, we look at what we face on any given day, and we think that that's our reality which is worse i got to pick between two terrible things that has something to do with the story we're going to look at today out of scripture the story that we're going to look at today is one that i guarantee everybody in here has heard more times than you could probably count and when i tell you this story Maybe you, you're going to really have some big questions as to how this story compares to a game of which is worse. But we'll walk through it and unpack it together. The story we're going to look at today is Noah and the Flood. So if you, if you have a Bible, if you like to follow along, I'm going to be in the book of Genesis. Uh, specifically, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 6. Now, we're going to look at this story probably differently than you have ever looked at the story of Noah and the flood. Because again, we've heard this story so many times from when we were kids even that you know a lot of the details. You know many of the major elements of the story about whether, you know, about uh, Noah building the ark and you, you may even like be able to recite the the size of the ark because you've heard it so many times. You know about God's command that they are going to take two of every animal. Onto the boat. You know that God says that He's going to seal them in the boat. You know that God says that the earth will be flooded. You know how many nights it rained. You know how many days it took for the water to recede. You know these details. You know the promise that God made to Noah that He gave him a sign of the rainbow. You know all of those elements. And we're not going to talk about any of that today, Not, not really. What we're going to talk about today is another part of the story that really I don't think we focus on enough that has some real implications for us today. So I'm going to start reading this chapter 6. I will pick this up in verse 11. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, I want to pause there. Um, Because again, that's where it's going to start getting familiar, where the story really picks up like it's familiarity for you as you hear God's instruction to Noah about what to do with the ark, about how to build it, about what his plans are. But the reason I want to pause is because Noah just had a conversation with the creator of everything, the God of the universe. That is a momentous thing for anybody to hear God speak directly to them. But here in this story, God doesn't talk to Noah about just anything. He literally tells Noah, everything on this earth is about to die. Every living, breathing, land-walking animal, all the vegetation, it is all done. Now, I don't know for sure, but... um, I have a feeling that as Noah is, maybe he's jotting this down, you know, like as God is talking, like when God says that word, it's like Noah had to have been like, uh, point of order, God, um, I breathe, I draw air, Um, am I included in what is about to happen? There had to have been that moment for Noah hearing this from the God of all power and authority that Noah had to have been completely staggered off of his feet. Everything on this earth is about to die. Now, this is where that concept, I think, of which is worse, is kind of playing out in real time, in in real life for Noah. These aren't made-up scenarios. God has the power and the authority to do exactly what he just said. And here's the, which is worse, uh, of Noah, here's what I want you to do. You're going to build an ark. You and your wife and your sons and their wives and two of every animal, I'll save. Or, conversely, I mean, in, in absence of doing that, Noah understands. He'll die with everyone else. But what a weight on his shoulders right at that moment to know that every neighbor, every friend, every person that he has ever met, God has just informed him. They're about to die. Everything is going to end, Noah. If you know the story of Noah and the flood, you know that Noah did make this choice to do what God said, to build the ark. Thankfully, God, like I said, made this choice somewhat less painful for Noah, that he wasn't going to have to go alone. Uh, Starting in verse 17, you can read that he um, uh, tells Noah what's going to happen. This flood is going to wash over the earth. Um, Everything that's on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And then he goes on to give all of these kind of really specific instructions about the number uh, of certain kinds of animals, some animals that they will be used as food. He just gives a lot of detail, and Noah's taking all of this in. And it says in verse 22, Noah did as God commanded him. So again, of all of the story... All of that is probably very familiar noah did what god said if you're anything like me that may be as much as you have ever really considered or thought about the story of noah and the flood more like um, like one of the childhood stories that we've we've heard so many times we're so familiar with it we sort of take this thing in our brain not consciously mind you But in our brain that says, ah, I know that story. It doesn't really have any application for me. It's this famous part of the Bible. They've used it for movies. There's been books. There's been all kinds of things that I've heard and seen about the flood. And it doesn't really feel like it applies in my life. Anytime that I have ever read through that story, I always see it, I think, from the viewpoint that it is ultimately this illustration of god's mercy that's how i've always viewed it is that's the lesson of the story is that god decided to kill all of mankind but he gave away he gave this rescue boat that would save humanity and save the animals and creatures of the earth so that we wouldn't be completely wiped out that's what i've always looked at from the story and it's an excellent description of God's ultimate mercy and love for us, that he made a way for there to be this rebirth of his creation. It's important for us to understand that. But I think there are also a couple of other lessons in this story that maybe is not uh, as familiar to us. And that's what I want us to look at today, because this past week, I'll tell you, man, my attention really shifted and started to reshape my thoughts about this story. But in order for me to really give you the kind of bigger gist that I think is important for us in our daily application, you need to back up just a few verses, still in chapter six of Genesis, but back up to verse five. Listen to this, I'm just gonna read you a couple of verses here, verse five and six. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. There's a really important three-word little phrase that's kind of nestled dead center in those two verses. It's right at the start of verse 6, and these three words, it says, the Lord regretted. The Lord regretted. That is probably one of the most confusing statements in all of the Bible. Especially for believers, because we know the word regret, that that always points to something from our past, personally, where we look back and we recognize, man, I hate that, I hate that I did that. I wish that I had never made that decision. I wish that I had never gone there. I wish I had never stepped into that situation. I mean, that's always what regret is, right? It's looking back at something we did and second-guessing it. Or, or just looking back and recognizing, man, I know that was a terrible decision. That's how we always see Regret, And so it can be confusing when we read that the Lord regretted because of what it means to us in our own story. That we look at that and we say, God regretted something? How could God regret something? God is without error. God never makes mistakes. God is perfect. How can he regret this infallible creation of everything? Well, to answer that, there's another three-word phrase in that section that I just read you, those two verses. The the other three-word phrase is right at the beginning of that previous verse of verse 5 where it says, the Lord saw. So if the Lord regretted is hard to understand, this one's a little easier. The Lord saw. This is easy to fully understand because as believers, we recognize God sees everything, right? We see God as omniscient as omnipotent. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from Him. So when we read the phrase, for God saw, we know, man, there is nothing to question about that. I believe that. As believers, we take that as a hard truth. And it makes this impression on us that because of His omnipotence, His omniscience, that He is perfect you were raised in church as I was especially the kind of church I was raised in which was a very kind of legalistic church I mean it was uh, people that I still love today but man it was just a very different kind of experience when you went to church there because it was very much like focused on the fire and the brimstone and and um, uh, the pastor wanting to make sure that people were afraid And so much of my life growing up, of course, I heard these kind of things about God, that God is all-knowing, God is all-seeing. He knows when you have done something bad. And I can remember when I was very young, man, the first time that I stole something. And I know that is a shock to your system. I want to give you a second, take a deep breath. (sighs) Pastor stole something. What? I was young, so give me a break but I remember when this happened. It was something very small. I'd gone to the grocery store with my mom and just like you know kids do as soon as you get to the store, can I have this, can I have this, can I have this? You know, It's like everything I'm wanting. But the one thing I went in there that I wanted was a pack of fruit stripe gum. Do you remember fruit stripe gum? All you uh, millennials and Gen Zers, you probably don't know what this stuff is. It actually, I just saw this a couple weeks ago that it just got discontinued but it's, it was a very high sugar content gum, and it tasted delicious for exactly 1.7 seconds, and then all the flavor was gone, and then you're just chewing on paper, but man, I wanted that so bad, and my mom was just like, nope, you're not having it, nope, that's so bad for your teeth, that is full of sugar, you are not getting it. If you ask me one more time, I will drop you under the bridge." Like, you know, so she is she's getting extremely mad because I keep asking. I recognize I'm not gonna be able to convince her. And so when we get to the checkout lane, I just casually reached over and grabbed a pot pack and slipped it into my pocket. Nobody was the wiser. And I will tell you, I left that store kind of feeling like, oh yeah. I am the OG baby. I am starting my life a crime today. This is awesome. I just got free gum. And I felt that way until I got in the car, and as we're driving home, it felt like that pocket was getting heavier and heavier. <laughs> it like felt impossibly heavy by the time we got home. I'm like, how am I going to get out of the car and walk? My mom is going to see me like dragging this leg, like I'm carrying this heavy lie in my pocket. We got home and I went straight to my bedroom. I sat down on my bed and I just remember pulling that pack of gum out of my pocket and just staring at it. And I can honestly, I can remember this voice in my head over and over. Your mom didn't see, the, the, the clerk didn't see, the lady behind you di- didn't see, but God saw. Jason, God saw what you did, and he is so ashamed. He's so disappointed. This is just playing through my head. I didn't even open the pack of gum. I just, you know, begin crying, and I walk down the hallway to where my mom is in the kitchen putting the groceries away. And I, I just walked in like this. You know, it's just like, <laughs> take it, please, kill me, do something. Man, my mom didn't hardly say anything. She saw me with it. She knew what happened. She said, get in the car. I thought, this is it. She's going to dump me off the bridge. (laughs) I'm dead. Instead, without hardly a word, we drove back to the grocery store. My mom led me in, took me up to the customer service counter where the manager that we knew was standing. And I had to ask if I could speak to him. And through a lot of tears and snot, I take the gum. I'm so sorry. He's like, you can keep that, honestly. (laughs) But the manager did take the gum from me. And a man that I thought was going to be very caring and kind was actually to be a man of no tolerance. And he and a group of his cashiers took me out back and beat me soundly. Turned me over to the police. I served 12 years in a juvenile detention camp. I'm just kidding. It's like a 15 cent pack of gum, man. And he, no, he didn't call the cops. I didn't get, I didn't get arrested. But he did do this. He he thanked my mom for bringing me back. Then he bent down. He just got down on one knee, like right there in front of me. I'm not gonna do it because I probably wouldn't be able to get back up. But he said, Jason, I'll tell you, as soon as your mom told me, I was super disappointed. And he pointed to these pictures. He had like four or five Polaroid pictures on the wall behind the counter. And he he asked, he said, do you know who the people are in those pictures? And I looked and it's all people, just like a one close up picture of their face. And like, they're all looking super unhappy, just like me. They're like, he's like all of those people on the wall Those are all people who stole in the store and got caught. He said, they are not allowed to come back into the store. That got me going hard, man, just crying. I mean, I just lost it. Because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so young. (laughs) I need to eat. I need groceries. What is going to happen to me? As I'm crying harder, he's like, hey, hang on. He's like, I'm not putting your picture up there. He said, do you know why? He said, because your mom told me that you confessed. You didn't get caught. You owned up to a mistake. And he said, while I am disappointed that you took the gun, he said, I am also so proud of you for owning up to it because I know that was hard. And he said, Jason, you are always welcome in my store. I want you to hang on to that that story for just a few minutes. Because I want to go back and talk about that phrase that said, the Lord regretted. I think that is probably the most heartbreaking phrase in all of the Bible. To help us understand and process that phrase, though, so that we can make sure we understand what that means, that God regretted, I need us to shift gears for just a second. What I want to do is I want to shift gears away from this idea about God's creation of man and his um, maybe the hurt that he experienced in sin, all of those things. I want to shift gears and talk about Henry Ford. You know who Henry Ford is. Uh, Many people think he created the automobile or invented it. He didn't invent it, um, but he invented the process by which cars started being made on an assembly line. So it went from being able to make, like, maybe one car a week to be able to make dozens or hundreds, eventually thousands of cars per day. This is what Henry Ford was known for. The creation of the automobile itself is considered to be one of the biggest advances forward in human history. Inventions are usually that way. They have some significant, significant game change for us in the, in the um, direction of history. But arguably, I think the automobile is probably right at the top of the list. And and like I said, while Ford did not invent the automobile, coming up with the concept of an assembly line to mass-produce cars is really what changed history. Ford had to have felt so proud as he saw how quickly people were beginning to take to automobiles, and it was because he was making them more readily available. But have you ever wondered for Henry Ford, who is really kind of considered this father uh, of the automobile movement in our world, what did he feel the first time he heard a story maybe, like or read it in the newspaper or had a reporter call and ask him, hey, did you hear about what happened? Some guy in one of your cars had too much to drink. He caused an accident and killed a bunch of people. He ran over a kid. What do you think? Mr. Ford? Do you think that in response to that news, that Henry Ford's response was, "I wish I had never done this. I regret that I was part of the automobile revolution. I, I regret it. I'm going to go home, I'm going to burn my office down, I'm going to destroy all of my notes, I'm going to destroy all of my patents, I'm going to get rid of every drawing, I'm going to go to the plant, I'm going to destroy that plant. There will never be another automobile made because I regret this so much. No. I think we all know that wouldn't have been his response. I am certain as he started hearing those kinds of stories, he had to have felt felt grief. But he would have also known that someone operating what he created, that they were operating out of free will, that they were making their own decisions. That's what we see here in this passage with God regretting. His regret is not about him wishing he had never made us. It's all about the grief that he is feeling in that moment and the decisions that are being made by his creation, us. God didn't think that he made a mistake in creating us. He recognized though that his creation had turned its back on him. See, God saw what man was capable of. He knew that giving them free will he knew from the beginning that they absolutely had the freedom to turn away. And if he knew this, if he knew that we were going to cause him grief, that we, as it's described here, that we were going to cause this regret, then I think the question that's fair for us to ask is, why did he create us in the first place? Now, I can answer this two ways. One, one way is more of... Um, A summation, I guess. An educated guess on my part. I can answer it as a parent. As a parent, I can tell you that I think I know why God did it anyway. I think every parent probably understands what I'm saying. But as a pastor who has spent a lot of time with other parents, parents who are grieving, I can definitely answer it 100% certain as to why God created us, even though he knew what it might mean. As I can tell you as a pastor who has walked with more parents than I can even begin to guess at a number over the last 22 years. Parents who have gone through some really big grief in the life of their children but as a pastor of walking with those parents I can tell you that not one time not one not one time have I ever talked to a parent who's either lost a child through tragedy or who's going through uh, a major illness that will take the life of their child or or a, a, a parent with adult children who have maybe made terrible decisions terrible mistakes In no situation have I ever walked with a parent who loves their kids that has ever said to me, I wish that I had never been a parent. I have never once heard someone say that. Because when you see a parent who loves their child, you know that regardless of the hurt or the hurts, you know that they would not choose to have never been a parent to that child. God, our Father, he saw. He saw the direction that man was heading, and he regretted, he grieved. But thankfully, Noah was a reminder to God that there was still something worth saving in mankind. See, the story of Noah and the flood, they're they're actually a very early foreshadowing of what God had in store, of what he had planned for all of us through his son, Jesus. I think many times we don't make the connection between the story of Noah and the flood with Jesus. That's exactly what it's pointing to. See, Noah experienced a very small taste of what it meant to be a part of a salvation plan for people salvation plan, plan that was completely free of charge. Only to see people reject and ridicule that offer. So we're not told this in Scripture, but it is easy for us, I think, to, to understand that this is uh, the way that it had to have been. That as the days of the flood approached, we're told that Noah was working very hard by himself to make something that would eventually save mankind. And it was in the form of an ark that we've all heard the stories about. This thing was massive, over 500 feet long, 50 feet tall. It was the largest vessel that had ever been built at that point. It was unimaginable. Now the thing that we're not told in scripture is what people's reaction was to this being built. It did not happen in a day. He put a lot of time in. He did not do it in secret. How do you hide a 500 foot long boat that is 50 feet tall? People had to have seen this. People had to have been coming from miles around to see this crazy man building the biggest boat anyone had ever seen, and there was not a drop of water anywhere near. He's building this in the middle of a desert. Now, the Bible, again, doesn't tell us this details, but it had to have been a sight that people wanted to come see, not because they were impressed, but because they just wanted to laugh, to see what this crazy man was doing. Noah, through God's plan and provision, would save mankind. 1 Peter 3, we read this, that says, uh, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey, talking about people at this time of the flood, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. And then listen to the shift here, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, there there are so many similar conditions today as it was in the days of Noah. Salvation Offered freely. (coughs) But so many reject it. But even more than those who reject it, even more heartbreaking are those who are searching for something. (coughs) Something that they know is missing in their life, but they just don't know what it is. The heartbreaking part of it is that we know what it is. We know the answer. The question, the question for us is whether or not we're willing to share it, to tell people what it is. Because just like Noah, we have been given a directive. Noah's directive was to build a boat. He, uh, build a boat bigger than anything anyone had ever seen. Regardless of what anyone thought about it, This was going to be the salvation that would bring mankind through the waters. It was going to save them from total destruction. Our directive is very similar. Our directive that Jesus himself gave us is to tell people the good news. It's better news than they could have ever dreamed for, that they would have ever even thought to ask for. That the void they feel in their heart, it can only be filled by God. And it can only be filled by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that He will bring them through whatever waters they face. That's where that story of me and that grocery manager enters into this picture. To see God, He is the God of second chances, thankfully. He's the God of second chances for anyone who is willing to own up to their mistakes, to confess their sin, to choose Jesus over the world. If we're willing to do that, He has redemption for us, and we are welcome in His home forever. This morning, my my challenge, my request, my plea, is that we would commit to be a people who never cause God to regret. We would never cause God to grieve that we would be a people who make it our mission to see every single person that we know, whether in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, our schools, our families, our friends, that they would be introduced to the salvation that only Jesus can supply. I don't pray this lightly over you, but I pray it today that your hearts will be broken, They will be broken for those who are around you who are missing from the story of Jesus. I pray that you will never rest until everyone that you know and love has experienced what you have found in Jesus Christ. That we will never give up reaching from those who are missing from the forever story of God. I'm going to invite you to stand up because I want us to close our time this morning something a little bit different. I mean, we, we always pray to kind of wrap this up and sing a song, but before we pray, what I want you to do is just close your eyes for just a moment, just no looking around. This is just a, a moment between you and God. I want you to picture one person, someone that you know it might be a, a friend, it might be a co-worker, it might be a neighbor, it might be a classmate, it may be a, a, a relative, it might be a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a spouse, someone that you know that you recognize this morning is missing from the story of Jesus. That you know has not made that decision to proclaim him as Lord. I want you to hang on to that person's name as I pray. I want you to hang on to that person's name this week. I want you to begin to think of ways to invite them in, invite them to church, invite them into your life, invite them into knowing who Jesus is, not so much because of what you say, but because of what you show them. Who is that person? Because that's your one. That's gonna become hopefully your singular focus in seeing them come to know the Lord, and that you won't rest until they do. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for your word. Thank you for stories uh, that we have in the Old and the New Testament, of your might, of your power, of your authority, and most importantly, of your love, your grace, your mercy that you have rained down on us through your Son. Father, I pray for each person here. I pray that right now that one, that That name of that one friend, that one person is burning a hole in their heart today. And that we will never rest, Father, until everyone has come to know you through the precious story of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful for all that you've given us, for all that you do. We pray for your continued guidance and direction this week and beyond. We love you, Father. We say all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.